All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Flippin' Matt's Wade and Flats podcast at Fish Tackle Marine here in San Antonio, Texas. We have a great guest with us today. We have Mr. Danny Uribe from Trica Rods. How's it going, Danny? Doing good. Thanks for uh, having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. We're, uh, we always like, especially us being an up-and-coming podcast, and we know Trica's pretty new to the rod game as far as, I know y'all have been doing it a long time, but as far as available to the public and stuff, y'all are pretty new, aren't y'all? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're new. The company and partners, uh, we've got a lot of experience in the uh, outdoor industry here, but um, uh, we're definitely new as far as uh, venturing into the fishing rod industry here. Um, a lot of our uh, our CEO Larry uh, and some of the other partners, they were big part of starting companies like uh, Raven Crossbows. Um, Okay. Okay. Rage broadheads, among others. I shoot rages. <laughs> <laughs> so they were a big part of that. Um, they came to me. They wanted to design some, basically the best products they can in the fishing industry. Okay. And uh, I jumped on board with them uh, about three years ago. We were in R and D for about two years, and we launched in September with our first line uh, series of uh, rods. September of just this past just year, just twenty-two, this past year, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. I tell you, I uh, I got to hold one a couple of weeks ago for the first time. Uh, one of the other guests we had on the podcast, Clendon, and uh, he had one in here. And man, just, I mean, it feels first class. There ain't no doubt about it. I love the carbon fiber handle. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was one of those uh, uh, things where it's just um, a lot of thought, a lot of thought. We didn't go to the other manufacturers and pull parts. Um, I did, you know, we have our own real seats, those grips that are all designed by us, blanks, all that, patterns, uh, mandrels, everything we do, we built. Um, the only thing that we bought off the shelf was guides and that was it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, cause I notice, I mean, I've never built a rod or anything, but I have messed around enough in the fishing industry. You know, you pull up like mud hole tackle or something and, you know, they have your basic five or six seats or five or six grips and that everybody seems to kind of choose from. So y'all actually broke it down like to the bare bones where y'all designed everything from the ground up. Correct. We wanted to build a product that was perfect. Hmm. We wanted to do something that no one else could do where we, we were focusing on weight of the product, balance of the product, comfort of the product, uh, sensitivity, durability, castability. And we took all these things, and we spent hours and days and weeks and months fine-tuning these things. That way we can make a perfect product for, for the consumer. Really what we wanted to do is have a consumer feel something different. Mm-hmm. You know, this industry has been so stagnant all its, you know, for decades, really. Yeah, no doubt. And there's just no uh, tech being in, introduced. You know, you throw it, they're just slapping names and labels on things and no one's really contributing to the the growth yeah i've kind of heard uh not they're not horror stories but it's just how the business works but i've heard like you know from people i know in other industries that have gone over to like china and stuff like that and you'll literally have a wall full of parts and you just pick hey i want this part with this part with this part and i want to put it all together and put my name on it and that's going to be the new thing and sadly that's what our industry has become yeah and really? we're just, we don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. So we're going to design everything. We're going to test everything and we're going to perfect everything. Yeah. How long did you guys spend though? Like R and D? We spent two years in R and D and probably a year and a half on the blank. Um, I worked with, uh, Brad Loomis mm-hmm. and I worked with Kenichi Ida. Uh, he was with Mega Bass and all three of us kind of collaboratively came up with the design and focused on multiple different things to make a very, very uh, crisp, high-tech uh, product. Well, that's, I mean, that's two top rod designers right there, you know? That's, yeah. that's definitely. I tell you, the one thing I noticed just in the short time we've been recording this interview is you have used the word perfect and perfection a lot. And I like that because even though naturally, 
everybody has their own different feelings on what's perfect, what's not. Just the fact that y'all guys are striving to try to make something perfect, even if you don't ever achieve perfection, it is just going to make the quality of y'all's stuff just so much better. Right. We always strive for that. Uh, will you ever hit it? I don't think you ever will. Fishing rods are very subjective. Hmm. Some guy wants something you know, different. Some guy wants durability. The other guy wants sensitivity. So how do you manage all that? Yeah. And that's where we come in and say, okay, we're going to perfect this to what we can manage reasonably and make sure that you're, you're getting every attribute to the highest quality here so that you as the angler are going to get a more sensitive product, but it's not going to bust on you. Um, your castability is going to get better accuracy, things like that. Yeah. Cause there's, there's no way to build a rod that feels every single pebble, but then also has the durability of an ugly stick at the right, same time. Correct, correct. You're dealing with totally different materials. I mean, I can get an aluminum rod and tell you, look, that's the most sensitive fishing rod. Mm. <laughs> and it will be, but it doesn't do anything else. Yeah. You know, it's not going to get a fish to the boat. Yeah. So, so you get, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you're fine. Keep going. No, so I'm just saying, uh, yeah. I was just saying that, uh, um, you know, you just got to perfect all these ideas. What do you want to be at the top? You know what's going to take a little bit of a backseat you know that's that's the basically the limbo that all these rod guys play basically prioritizing exactly y'all feel is exactly most important to least important right looking at things that um um you know other manufacturers are going to overlook too and they don't care about realistically so where'd you get your start at so I started when I was about 20 years old. This is about 16 years ago, almost 16 years ago. And I actually started in real design with saltwater reels. And what I did is I developed a very simple reel that was made completely of titanium. Hmm. So the titanium for saltwater would never rust. Right. And the simplicity wouldn't allow for jamming or salt buildup in, in key areas where you're going to have uh, problems and we had special sealing on the bearings and things like that so um, so that was my first product and then after that I did uh, fishing rods kind of actually with that product and we developed uh, blanks with carbon uh, cloth on them so when you see like uh, you know the tape and all that stuff yeah that was like I was at the very beginning of, of seeing that happen and we were experimenting with that way back when. Mm. But uh, so I worked with that company for a while. Uh, I worked with Bass Pro Shops um, for a brief amount of time. And then I went to Accurate Fishing Reels, which is a Southern California saltwater company, and uh, helped them with everything from sales to, you know, traveling all over and getting feedback uh, from all the big dealers and small dealers. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I started my own rod company. And uh, I did good with it. It did well. Um, I had that for a few years. And then I was approached by Trica to work on this project. That's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that, is, that is really cool. So now that you're, I guess, full-time Trica, right? Yep. I mean, that's what you do full-time. Yep. I'm, I'm curious as to someone like you that started in the saltwater game, Southern California, all that. I mean, San Antonio, Texas doesn't seem like the place I would find a master rod designer like yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it just, not not that, hey, I'm glad you live here. We live here. But it, how did you end up in San Antonio? Yeah, that's a good story. Um, <laughs> so I, I fished FLW and all that back on the – uh, West Coast. Hmm. So I did start as uh, freshwater. Okay. I did that a lot. I actually knew uh, Byron Velvet back over there. So when he, you know, he moved over here, when I came over here. It was cool to see, you know, he was literally the only face I knew. <laughs> and I ran into him at Amistad randomly uh, again, which was cool. But um, so they were, you know, I was very active in, in bass fishing over there. Um, I got to learn from a lot of the top dudes that you see on tour now. I mean, you know, 
Byron was an elite pro back then, and I got to watch him do the swim bait thing uh, before it was even called a swim bait. Oh, wow. You know, uh, we were throwing, you know, 16 inch long baits, you know, in the 90s, catching giant fish, and no one else knew about it. <laughs> uh, so it was really cool to kind of ride the coattails of that whole thing and uh, progress and, and learn. I've learned from, I mean, if you go back there, I mean, I've been probably, I fished with all the top guys, which was huge for me. And, you know, I was, I was young. You know, I was willing to listen and they were willing to teach me. So, um, right about, so initially I designed a bait cast reel that ended up turning into the saltwater reel. Mm -hmm. And I met a really good buddy uh, who was really into fishing offshore. I was like, okay, well, you know, let's, this technology that we're developing is really good for saltwater. So I ended up doing that for six years. So anyways, all that leads to basically um, my wife, (laughs) (laughs) she moved out to California with me and lived out there for four years. And with everything just turning for the worst, I mean, they have so much fishing regulation going on right now. Um, I mean, they're trying to close down 30% of the water over there right now. Oh, wow. And it just does not work for me. Because I I gotta be on the water. I mean, you know they're closing down lakes over there during the whole COVID pandemic, and it's you know what are you gonna do? Yeah, move to Texas. Exactly. Well, it got it got bad. Like I was over there, and like the zebra mussel hole when that whole thing kicked, mm-hmm. you had to go get your boat inspected. I I remember guys fishing ABA and stuff like that. The Western Bass Tour too. They were having to pull up, and if there was any water in their boat dripping off the motor, it's two-week quarantine, you know, especially at Castaic and, yeah. and uh, Pyramid of Piru. So you spent all that money to get to the lake to go through that inspection, have one drip of water come out of your lower unit, and then be like, go ahead, can't fish. Sorry, yeah, that's how it was. And then the price to get in the lake was like <laughs> around 40 bucks. Yes, it is. Just for entry. It's over 40 bucks now. Yeah, yeah see? Wow. Like, and you can't even get on the lake because like bluebird skies out. Yeah. Jeez. And it, it, it's to the point where it was ridiculous. And then you had um, what else was what else was there? Like if, if it was too windy, they wouldn't allow you on the lake. It was regulated. Yeah. How many boats can be on the lake? Mm-hmm. They would cap they're, it. They're, they're small little lakes. Are they really? Yeah, they're not big. I mean, their biggest lake is maybe the you know the big center of Canyon or something like that. Oh wow! I know uh, Diamond Valley. That was a lake. It was only uh, they wouldn't allow two strokes when I was there. So yeah. You had to have a four stroke it up. I don't know if that's still there or not. It's uh three-star emissions motors built yeah. after i believe 1999. so they're that hardcore yeah wow i remember being in line at diamond valley and they were not letting us up the hill because you had to go you stop you're at the bottom you get there at five in the morning to get on the lake at seven and they were not allowing any of the boats up because the kangaroo rats hadn't fully crossed yet mm-hmm. and it's like man i got eagles and stuff flying over me everyone you know fish are done but biting you know then they take your 40 bucks what do you do wow that's how it is man so coming here <laughs> coming at you when i came here i was like this is sweet like most of these lakes like don't have entry fees no like, oh, just yeah. pull up and dump in like exactly <laughs> when i found out you could just go over to canyon and put a boat in at any time yeah so, so I, it was dude i was like is this for real yeah and if there's nobody at the pay station they have the little envelope box you Put your five, eight, ten bucks in it and yeah. just go. Or you just get a seventy-five dollar state parks pass and you're done yeah. for the whole year. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, when I was fishing Medina, when I got there, the guy was like uh, twenty bucks. I was like, sold. Here's twenty. Dude. <laughs> I'll you, give you twenty-five. How yeah. about that? <laughs> and that's what's so funny is you, you you talk about Medina. All of us old G OG Medina guys that used to fish out there. When he went to twenty, we were all like. Uh-uh, we ain't paying it. <laughs> because for the longest time, like when they used to run the Friday night tournaments out there, he got he cut us a deal. It was five bucks. Or regular, it was eight dollars. Hmm. And then when it went dry, like in fifteen, way down there, and then it came back up, he started charging twenty and all of us were like, nah, we ain't doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all guys are like, twenty dollars, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> well, even when I went to uh Travis, the first time I put in at Travis, I didn't have to pay anything. I was cool with that too, you know, just yeah. fuel. That's all I got to pay for. And then you go to Amistad and it's run by 
government, federal, mm-hmm. you know, National Park Service, and a one-day pass is still four dollars. Oh, it's or you get a three-day for ten. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where it's held the deal. I was happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the other part is the tournament circuits, right? So you have Bass Champs where you're fishing for twenty grand, mm-hmm. but you're paying, you know, you're only paying three fifty. That was normal for a twelve-boat tournament at yeah. Cal in California. Yeah, I mean, you have the opportunity to win twenty thousand yeah. dollars for a three hundred and fifty-dollar entry. Yeah, I mean, fifty bucks is what like a normal tournament is out here. It's like that's it. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about that, like the club that Joe, you and I are in elite, you know, to this day, a lot of the local club guys from other clubs and stuff look at us. And of course we do kind of a team format, you know, because that's the one thing I never really liked about Bass Clubs. The original model was you got two guys in the boat, but you're fishing against each other. Yeah, terrible. I was like, you know, so, hey, dude, I got an eight pounder. I ain't netting them. (laughs) You know, I, mean, I mean, I always would, but it's like, oh, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> but so we, we do it a little bit different. You know, we do a team format, which I think is awesome because everybody wants to fish with a buddy. You want right. to have somebody to talk to, talk, you know, fishing, go over what's, you know, play out all the scenarios in your mind. Hey, man, you think we ought to go do this, go do that. And we charge a hundred bucks. That's what it is. All of our tournaments every month, it's a hundred bucks. And there's still guys that are like, God, a hundred dollars, and yeah. they just don't know how lucky they got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I fished. Uh, I don't know if it's still around. It was top sticks. Mm. It was off uh, Castig and Pyramid. Yeah, and it was it was a small. Yeah, small I don't know if it's there anymore, but I do remember the circuit. Yeah, I mean, I fished that, and I think it, at that time it was like two something. That's what me and my cousin were paying yeah. for entry. Yeah, it's so, three fifty now. Yeah, see, like. It's so different, you know, and that's why I'll never go back. <laughs> yeah, then you got to pay the 40 bucks to get on the lake. Yeah. So, uh, being California or California roots now in Texas, back in the day when all that stuff was going on with Dottie and all that, I mean, where was that at? That was at Dixon. I've been to that lake multiple times. Really? That lake is tiny. Yeah. Tiny. Like, I mean, we talk like the like, size of a cove of Canyon. Like Woodlawn Lake? Like, no, actually, about the same size as Woodlawn Lake. Um, you actually, if you want to get on a boat, you have rental boats, like skiffs, I guess, like little 14-foot John boats you put on the water. It's a small lake, and you can actually walk around the entire lake. You know, I've never fished in California, but I always kind of figured there had to be something because you watch all these guys on YouTube, and you watch the old videos of Dottie and stuff like that. And, I mean, all these guys are running around in 14, 15-foot John boats. But, I mean, down here in Texas, do you, if you have a 14 or 15 boat, 14 or 15 foot John boat, you're only fishing about 20 days out of the whole year with the wind and everything. I mean, you're not getting out there, yeah. right? but right. the lakes are, and it makes and sense. They're tiny and they're inside mountain ranges. You know what I mean? They're blocked. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised to see these lakes where a lot of these giant fish are being caught out. They are tiny, clear, super clear water holes where they just pile in thousands of pounds of trout. Mm. But that's even if they stock trout now. Yeah, that's a whole nother issue yeah, going on. Yeah, there you go. That's why I don't I don't see I don't foresee California ever producing the world record anymore just because fish and game they, they scaled back on their trout plants. That's never gonna come back. And if they do stock it's once every six months from what I understand. Texas Parks and Wildlife needs to get on that gig. Yeah. <laughs> we just start dumping a bunch of rainbows everywhere. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Canyon Lake here has potential. They it's got the right bait in it, the right water clarity, right right depth. Mm-hmm. It's got the makings. Of really? all the lakes I've seen out here, I've pretty much been to all of them. I would say Canyon's got the biggest potential. You know, I've kind of heard that, not about Canyon, but like you talk about the different makeups of the lakes and stuff. You take a lake like Falcon, you know, BASS record, 132 pounds and everything. And, you know, when it's in its prime, it probably has more big fish in it than any lake in texas but i've also heard a lot of guys say you're probably the chances of falcon producing that state record that 18 pounder they all say dude falcon probably has more 7 to 11 pound fish in it than any state in the lake but it's missing that something to get it to that next level where you would think 132 pound record bass and the lake record's only 15 and a half pounds Mm -hmm. There's got to be makeup. When you see that, when you look at a fish from Canyon, 
they have the look of those giant ones that come out of California. Yeah. They're really? built the same. And it's, get... it's all in the build of the fish. Like I've caught some monsters out of choke. I got a 12 out of there in November, but it was long. Yeah. And it had a huge head. And see, it's so crazy because growing up in San Antonio, fishing ever since I was a little kid, <laughs> me and another buddy of mine, Kevin, we used to go to Canyon Lake to catch smallmouth. Like, we didn't even care about going there and catching largemouth. Mm -hmm. Of course, this was 10, 15 years ago. I think a lot is – but there used not to be grass in the lake back then and all sorts of stuff. But I see, uh, well, like Clinton, he posts pictures of bass he catches up there all the time, and those things are tanks, even if they're three and four pounds. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What I'm worried about, though, they, they have the whole thing in Canyon to where right now I guess they're trying to lobby or something going on to where they want to get rid of the grass. They want to spray the grass. Hopefully they don't, though, because that's going to kill everything. Yeah, you don't want to spray it, but I'll tell you this much. I'm not against not having grass in there, and I'll tell you why. When I got here three years ago, there was barely any grass in there, mm -hmm. and that lake was fishing so good. I mean, everyone was telling me how terrible it was, and I would have 30, 40 fish days. No problem. The problem was is the guys are fishing so shallow. The fish were down in 40, 50 feet but they were good ones and they were stacked. And right now it's been harder for me to get them. But now that the grass is dying, water's dropping, the rock is starting to get exposed again. The fish are congregating a lot more and now they're getting, they're chewing better for me. And see, I don't have any proof of it just because I haven't actually talked to anybody from Texas Parks and Wildlife, but I, you just hear the stories and the rumors and stuff. They say one of the other reasons Canyon's fishing so good is because when we had the classic in Texas back at Conroe, mm. back in, I know Jordan Lee wanted, I think it was 17, 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. After they had that classic, they were, Texas was on the bid to get another classic, which ended up being Ray Hubbard. Well, apparently Canyon Lake is one of the lakes they were looking at just because when you pick a classic facility, it has to be within an hour drive of a major metropolitan so you can have the arena. I mean, I heard from multiple people, they were talking about doing the weigh-in at the Alamo Dome downtown, like the whole nine yards. Well, apparently Texas Parks and Wildlife did some pretty extensive stocking in Canyon with not just fingerlings, like some nice two and three and four pound bass already to kind of get that population up. I don't know if it's true, but the way you're talking about canyon fishing now and the pictures you see from everybody, it kind of starting to all make sense that maybe there was some extra, a little bit extra effort put in on canyon. Yeah. yeah, I would. So last last year, this time, I was taking a few uh, customers out there and we were having 25 to 28 pound bags every day. And we hooked one. I could, he could tell you a story better, but we had one that was well over 12. And, you know, I thought it was done because it jumped like four or five times and I had it on six pound and I was like, oh, I'll just wear it out. Mm -hmm. And it surged all over. I mean, probably had it for three minutes and it came next to the boat and just went down and hook pulled. Wow. So we could have easily had that fish like three times if we had the net. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're in there. I mean, I've, my, I've got one that was over nine. I've got, you know, Clinton knows this, but I flip two a month ago that were over seven, you know, they're, they're big fish. Yeah. They're there. The, the one thing I have been able to put together, if you notice the lakes in Texas that consistently produce good fish with the exception of maybe choking Falcon, a lot of them, like you're talking about Canyon, you talk about Amistad, they catch good fish up at Travis, LBJ. I mean, LBJ, they just, you know, caught a 13-pounder there. Mm -hmm. And a couple, and even Ray, places like Rayburn and Toledo, there's something to that clear water aspect right. that I think helps when you're talking about producing those big, big fish. Right. Well, I think it is, a, you know, I know, at least in California, they can size up what they're eating. Yeah. They can see it from a good distance away. They know what it is. And they can get to it you know those bait fish i know so in, in california they'll put the trout up on the bank and and that's how they eat them it's a it's a trip to watch it's pretty it's, cool yeah. i mean they'll 
you'll see trout sometimes they'll get them to flop on the bank and they just die there it's like great white. it's like great whites chasing seals yeah no, it's true man like even uh even shad i know a castig i got in a few shad boils and they did that and they pushed them all onto the bank and you can just throw in at that point and get whatever you want you know that was some of my best days right there you get in a shad boil push them on the bank in a cove and you're good to go so canyon's got those big giant gizzard shad in it mm. amistad has them too yeah. <clears throat> I never remembered. I never realized how big those gizzard shad were until my tournament partner bought a bow fishing boat about two years ago, and we started going out to Amistad bow fishing. And man, you turn those lights on, and I'm talking gizzard shad that are 12, 13 inches long. I mean, you're trying to shoot them with the bow; they're that big. Yeah. And yeah, you eat one of them a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I caught a few. I'll show you guys some pictures later, but uh, we caught some big ones out of there with. 10 inch gizzard chad swim baits. So right now that's the most untapped fishery in Texas is a swim bait deal. Oh yeah. But oh, it's starting gosh. to grow. I mean it is growing for sure. When I so when I first moved here, I remember seeing I was at Choke, first like I ever went to. And te- Texas Parks and Wildlife agent was there. And I had a Huddleston title. And he was like, What the hell is that? And, and I have no clue how to fish choke at this point, you know. And he was like, What the hell is that? Don't want Huddleston, you know, trout pattern. I don't know. I'm just trying to go out there and fish like I fish back at home. And he's like, you're probably not going to catch anything. And I was like, I, I just don't want to talk to you about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's starting to grow more, though. You're starting to see the more big swim baits out here. You know, you got Hill Country swim baits that's here locally, San Antonio. Um, and especially now with Swim Bait Universe, Swim Bait Underground popping up all over social media, that's the cool thing to do. You know, so California – like Texas is like California back early, like you said earlier. You know, it's true though because it's yeah. just starting to to be on the forefront out here now. Right now, right now, everyone's in the cast and grind, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or, or kick the bait around, wake bait or yeah. slide baits. That's, but Danny said something though: six pound. Yeah, that's my that. kind, my kind of guy though. <laughs> six pound test. Well, clear water, California guy. Like, there's sometimes I was fishing like four pound. And see me, and see me being from me being from Texas. I don't even buy six pound for my wife to hang pictures in the living room. (laughs) Even that's twenty pound big game. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, my biggest fish was on six pound. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it works. But But that's when you get into the difference, though. Like, could you catch it on eight pound instead of six pound? But then you've got the bite, and that's what it is. You got to get bit first. That's what it comes down to. You got to get bit before. Get bit and worry about it later. Exactly. One of the guys I used to fish with, he was, uh, he went to graduate school up in Austin, and he was in a bass club up there. And the guy that he used to fish with, or one of the guys he used to fish with, they always fished those docks at Travis. And he used to, th- I mean, they would fish with 10-pound test on a spinning rod, pitching wacky rigs up under the dock. And the old man was always, he would always tell him, man, you're not going to get that fish out of there. And the old man used to always say, I'll worry about that once I hook them. <laughs> exactly. But like you said, you could skip all those docks with 15-pound test, get one bite. He does it with 8-pound test, gets 10 bites, lands five of them. You're still four fish ahead of the guy that went by with the... Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially for Canyon Lake and these clear lakes that you're yeah. seeing. Definitely. Oh, Ivy's going to turn into a... It's going to be hard to get bit there. And that will turn into a, the classic five- and six-pound drop shot lake. Yeah. Soon enough. I foresee that happening. So, Danny, you've talked a little bit about, you know, fishing, your past experiences, where you come from. So I'm curious, you know, what what's your favorite way to fish? I mean, I know we've talked about you being from California and you mentioned six-pound tests and swim baits and you've kind of been all over the place. But what, what gets you going? I would say swim baits, but I really like throwing a chatterbait. You know, since I've moved to Texas, you can actually catch fish with a chatterbait. California, like, man, you get a bite. You're, it's like fishing a swim bait. Really? Yeah. It's, you, a, uh, you a jackhammer guy? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a jackhammer <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> it's, it's, the money is worth it. It is, It's right? worth it. It's worth it. It is. Uh-huh. It's a little pricey, but uh, they work great. Yeah. You know, I've had a really good day. It's like, choke canyon chatterbait. Oh, man. Yeah. You hit it on the right day. Oh, so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, all right, I like that chatterbait. Now that you're in Texas, um, I mean, as far as do you still tournament fish at all? You yeah, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I fished the bass camps of Clendon, 
Um, I'm doing the Bass Nation stuff here. Um, I'll be fishing Canyon this weekend. Okay, yeah, the south is yep. Canyon, right? Mm -hmm. So I fished the one in Choke, and then uh, I'll probably try to fish all of them up here. We'll see. All right, what kind of rig you run? I have a Ranger Z518 right now, mm. but I'm going to change that. I'm going to get a Camos. Oh, wow. I've seen a couple of those. I haven't ridden in one yet, but <clears throat> we were at the lake this past weekend, and a guy pulled up next to us, solid black Camus with red pins. Oh, dude, it was so awesome. Oh, yeah. Those things are so, so nice looking. I went and checked them out the other day, and, oh, I'm sold. <laughs> heated, <laughs> heated seats or what? I'm, I'm looking at and steering wheel. Oh. oh. See? Do they have uh, live well cameras? Oh, you don't have to open up your live wells anywhere. You mean you don't want to uh, get one of the new icons, Jacob no, Wheeler? Uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> they look cool. They got all the fancy gizmos and gadgets. I'll let someone else find out if they're good. <laughs> and then maybe we'll go that way. I don't know. You know, being in Texas, it's that's one of the one things I kind of always, I always thought I would take into account if I ever purchased a new boat. I mean, all the new boats are great. Ranger, Skeeter, I mean, Triton, not, I mean, God, I can't get over how far Nitro's come, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and they're new ones. But, you know, one of the things I always kind of wondered was you'd see these guys show up with these boats that are only out in East United States and stuff. And I'm like, what are you supposed to do if that thing breaks? <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, here in Texas, it's pretty much Skeeter, Phoenix, yeah. and Nitro because of Bass Pro. But, I mean... When you're spending that kind of money, I mean, I want to have a place that can service it. <laughs> right. I will say this. So I had a Skeeter <coughs> ZX250 prior to the Ranger. The only reason I got rid of that boat is because it wouldn't fit in my garage. <laughs> Joe's won't fit in yeah. his garage. My, no. I got mine on my driveway. Yeah. ZX250. Yeah. 06. <laughs> ZX250? ZX250. What year? 06. 06. 06. It was, oh. actually, it was actually Josh's. He sold it to me. Yeah. Really? I got, yeah. I got rid of my tracker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll say this much about the at least my 15, 2015 boat. That thing rode so good. That was single-handedly easiest, the best riding boat I ever, ever had. So my tournament partners had, I think, four Skeeters now. And when we first started fishing together, the first year we fished together, maybe the first year, or first two years we fished together, he was still running a 21i mm. and i mean that thing was a cadillac and i remember him saying oh i'm gonna get a new boat and he runs a zx 250 now a 2019 uh -huh. yep and uh multiple reasons the 21i was a dual console yeah. you know so the single console is a lot nicer for tournament fishing right. it's not nice on me when it's cold because i don't have a window <laughs> yeah. but uh, but I, we were i remember when he first got it thinking man, there ain't no way this thing's going to ride like that I-boat did, you know. Mm -hmm. But, dude, I was very impressed. That ZX, I mean, even the, you know, being the ZX, not the FX or whatever, I mean, it rides just as good as that 21 I did. Yeah. I was very impressed. Yeah. They're just, something about their whole design is just, it beats everybody. You know, I've driven Champions, Rangers, you know, all of them, really. And I will tell you right now that Skeeter ZX250 was by far the best riding boat I've ever been in. Yeah. They say the new Camus is good, though. Yeah. I yep. haven't. I have not ridden in one. So. Yeah. I haven't ridden one in one yet. I'm going to be riding in one. If I had to switch, it'd probably be a, a Phoenix or that Charger 210. Mm -hmm. That that Charger boat. That 210 Elite yeah, Champion Hall. That's sweet. That's sweet. That's yeah. Sweet. With, the, with the Honda? No. No. <laughs> I rode a one with a Mercury. But I have seen them with, with Hondas on it. Yeah. And honestly, though, Honda's not a bad motor because I have friends that have them. And they're like, it's, it's not a bad motor. They're just kind of heavy. Well, but it goes back to where in the heck are you going to get it serviced? Where yeah. are you yeah. going to get parts? I mean, down here in central Texas, I don't know of any Honda dealers here. Mm. So no, you're running Mercury or Yamaha. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I never realized how, like, I guess region specific stuff like that is, but two boats ago on my saltwater boat, I had an Evinrude E-Tech on it. Mm. And oh. yeah, I had an Evinrude E-Tech on it. I'm not going to lie, dude. The motor was really good and it was fast. I had the, uh, 
the blue and gray one, the 250 mm-hmm. uh, E-Tech. It wasn't the white one. It was the freshwater model. But when we went and traded it in on our on the next boat that I got, our, the salesman flat out told me, he goes, dude, your boat's immaculate. And he goes, if it had a Yamaha or a Mercury on it, I'd be giving you $4,000 more than what I am. Yeah. Just because he goes, I'm not going to get that extra 4000 when I go to sell this thing. Right. Yeah. Just because it's kind of that uncharted water, that uncharted territory. Yeah. If I had to do a repower, it'd probably be, honestly, a Suzuki. They're coming out with good products, dude. Yeah. Suzuki's are good. A a lot of the guys down at the coast, when I'm guiding down there and stuff, they have gotten that Suzuki bug. It's it's a good motor. Yeah. They're quiet. I thought, like, my new boat has the new 22 show on it, which is even quieter than my 20 show that I had. And that Suzuki, you don't even hear it running. Like sometimes, like I've been in the boat and turn around and look and go, that, "Is that Suzuki even running?" Yeah, it's running. We're idling. I'm like, "Gosh, dang!" <laughs> All right, let's get back to fishing. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, hey, that was the marine section of exactly. the yeah. yeah, that was the marine part. Here. But uh, all right, so that's cool, man. I'm glad you still tournament fish because I, I always kind of wonder, you know, like. Back in the day when I was in the golf business, you have all these people designing golf stuff, clubs, whatever. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, are the people that are designing these things, some of the things they would come up with, I'm like, no person that played a good amount of golf would ever want this. So I kind of always wondered that in the fishing industry, you know, like some guy building a rod that doesn't even fish. He's going, oh, well, you know, on paper, statistically, this is what it should be. And then you go hold it and you're like, no, this ain't right. Throw yeah. it away. Yeah. So and, I mean that that that's kind of not intriguing, but it's it's nice to know that the people that are building these triker rods are they're they're in it. They're invested. Right, and that's another thing. Like that's super important to me to be able to perform well with the product that I'm actually making. Yeah. I want to know that the rods are working right. Uh, you know, through the whole design phase, from you know the new guy to the high-end professional you have something here that can that can work efficiently for all aspects and it means something when you can be standing there talking to a customer and literally telling him no this rod is going to do this because i know i've right. tested absolutely it. and being able to tell him that with the utmost confidence absolutely yeah and that's that's something that i think is unique to Trika, is that the guys designing these products are the ones using them yeah you know we i'm not going to build or design anything that i would not carry into a big tournament myself yeah you know um shoot i was using the prototypes for tournaments and you know winning out here with those rods with those prototypes you know constantly hey i need to fix this this did not go well (laughs) you know um when you're in a pressure situation i don't say super high pressure in a lot of these terms i'm doing but they're you know you want to win absolutely um so you pick up the little details well if i would have if my product would have had this if i would have a little bit more secondary lifting power in that rod in this section i would have got those fish yeah okay so you carry that into the design and that's why you see a lot of uh a lot of you know when you guys get to use them i don't know if you guys have to use them yet i have not no but you'll notice it does feel different than anything else that's out there um you know they they're designed to do a certain power action you know every rod there's a medium heavy 10 to 20 pound right yeah everyone has a label Mm -hmm. the difference is in how does that rod feel sensitivity wise when i set the hook how does that react um you know, I designed these rods specifically to have that secondary lifting power. So when you do, so you have that fast action, but as soon as that rod loads up, it wants to give a little bit. Because if you've looked at these videos, if you've watched fish, they'll bite, they'll get hooked. They don't just take off immediately, they shake their heads. Mm-hmm. So the rod has to be designed to take the shock. To accommodate this. that. Because they're at their strongest points when they get hooked. Okay. It's easy to stop fish when they're on the move because you can direct them, right? If I'm pulling this way, he's going to go that way, right? If I'm yeah. leaning this way, he wants to go the path of least resistance. 
So, you know, you got to look at those things too when you're designing the products and that helps, you know, so when I fish, you know, I try to fish one or two days a week and I'm constantly learning those things. So I know how to structure what I'm doing on the product to have it operate properly. So I noticed you said at the beginning of the podcast that y'all just released y'all's first line or series of rods. Yep. Um, what does that series or line go for? I mean, what, what's the price point on those rods? So those are $2.99 shipped okay. to your door for free. We will have other products. We have, we're working on those right now. So we'll have stuff that's a little bit less and stuff that's a lot more. Okay. So, I mean, just out of curiosity, because naturally fishing is an expensive sport. And when you drop the price, naturally you give up something. Right. I mean, that's inevitable. Sure. It's, I mean, <laughs> you, you can't put $300 components in a $100 rod, but y'all do have plans or designs, like you said, a little less, and then possibly something that's even a little higher than the $299. Right. So we're able, at this point, we have so much technology at our disposal that we're able to sell that into another field. So even though this rod's competing up against those six, $700 rods, well, we have stuff in the pipe. It's going to be even far exceeding that. So our technology, it's patent pending right now, mm -hmm. which is outside of Shimano and Daiwa, the only rods I've ever known to carry a patent. Um, so we're able to take our technology, utilize our technology to go far above where we're at. And we can come a little bit below to kind of, you know, drop the price point, get it, get something. We're never going to be that brand that's like Zebco Quantum. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, we're not, I'm not ever going to put, we as a group, an ownership group would never put our name on something subpar yeah. just to, just to do it. Yeah. Just to, oh, I'm going to try to meet a price I'm not, point. I'm not ever going to, we're never going to do something to build, build a product based around a price point. We'll never do it. That's good to know. That means that you're building quality product. Yeah. We'll mm -hmm. never do it. It'll always be a top performing product. And unfortunately, you're never going to see a hundred dollar rod come from Trika. Mm -hmm. um, but when you do get a Trika rod, it will perform better than anything you got. That's awesome. I do. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. Because, you know, so many guys go to, you know, pick up a rod that's $99.99 or $119 and, you know, they're looking at it going, oh, my God, you know, that's that's a lot, you know. Right. Because, I mean, I remember when I first started fishing, everybody had the $69 All-Stars. That was the big <laughs> deal in Texas, you know, because All-Star was made here, Houston and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. But I will say just from, you know, growing up fishing and stuff, if I had to suggest something to somebody, like I always use the price point, you know, $300. Yeah. If you've got $300 to spend on a rod and reel combo, I, I, without a doubt, personally feel like you are better off spending $250 on a rod and putting an Abu Garcia Black Max on it to make your $300. And that is going to serve you better than buying a $250 Cronard and putting it on a $49 All-Star. Absolutely. The rod is the most important part of bass fishing. Yeah. I mean, because ultimately a reel, now, I know you come from reel design, so I know there's a hundred different aspects, but in my mind, you know, a wheel is, a reel is just a winch. It's the mechanism to retrieve line. To, that's how you cast the line out. That's how you bring the line in. And I understand, you know, the smoothness and all that can make a big difference, but I, I truly do think that the rod is the most important part. It is. And, and reels aren't left up to subjectivity. Hmm. A reel is not going to make your bait react a certain way. Yeah. Uh, rods are built to make your baits react a certain way. Um, you know, they're the cushion. You know, they keep your line from breaking. They do so many things. Well, you just mentioned line, and you think of that. I think line is probably your second most important choice right. after the rod. Yeah. Yep, it is. It is. You can get away with a mono or something like that, but the more you spend on the line, the better you're going to get rods, line, and baits. Hmm. When people ask me where to spend their money, they spend it in your rod, your line, and your bait, and your hooks if you can't get a good hook, you yeah. know. Yeah. The hooks nowadays are so good, you know, it's like you, yeah. can, you can pull anything off 
off the shelf they've all been laser sharpened and oh yeah even the, <laughs> even the you go to academy and pick up the h2o express oh, yeah. or the bass pro shop brand i mean right. you pull one out of the package it'll skin hook you just... oh absolutely <laughs> yeah the hooks have come so far um to me it's like you know get a get get your rod get your line and get your baits don't skimp on that if you if you control those three things the best of your ability everything else will come together now how much of the fishing rod is personal preference what i mean by that is you see so many of these rod companies and i apologize i haven't even looked in depth that much at the trica brand to where uh you see so many of these companies label this is your jerk bait rod or this is your chatter bait rod but then like I'll pick one up. I'll never forget back in the day. I wanted to learn how to throw crankbaits. So what I do, I bought a Skeet Reese Magnum cranking rod. Dude, that was the worst crankbait rod I've ever held in my life. <laughs> For me, I know people that loved them and caught a bunch of fish on them, but it I did not like it at all. I didn't like it at all. That's a really good question. I get asked that one a bunch. Um, so the, the trick is, you know, I feel like I'm knocking on companies here but they're not the guy designing the rod is not the expert hmm. a lot of the time it's a lot of overseas stuff and it's a lot of secondhand information so if i ask joe you know what what should i design to be a drop shot rod one well, I'm, I'm designing joe's drop shot rod hmm. and i'm trying to interpret interpret what he's telling me and then i got to put it in here he's going to get it and be like a lot of the times, you know, he's sponsored by the company I'm working for, and he's got to tell me to keep his job what I want to hear. It's amazing. It's the best rod ever. Yeah. Great job, guy. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'll use this, yeah. right? And that's really what you're dealing with. You're not, these companies don't have, the, the guy designing the product outside of Shimano and Daiwa is not the dude designing the rods hmm. or the reels or the baits. You know, that's all secondhand information that they're trying to interpret. And to that extent, when you look at the other companies, most of these companies, they're not, uh, there's no design going on in the U.S. at all. They're they're a spec, right? They're the designer out here in these companies, you know, for most of these companies are, I want a seven foot medium heavy. I want these skews. These skews sell good. Hmm. Okay. Send it over to. China or Korea or Malaysia. And then they just, they put it on a board, look at it. Oh, that falls in there. And all right, send it off. Does it look pretty? Mm -hmm. And we'll play with the decals a little bit. And there you go. That's how you make your product. And that is the reality where we're at. And that's why when Trica came in, it was a huge opportunity for us because everyone is so tainted with the idea of it's just medium heavy. It's just a rod. Yeah. Why would I spend 300 bucks? That rod's $80. Mm-hmm. But when you, and that's why we have a hundred percent money back guarantee for 365 days. If we can get it into your hands, then you're not going to want to give it back. You're not going to give it back. Yeah. And we haven't had any come back. We sold a lot of rods. We're selling a lot and they're not coming back. In fact, the majority of people who have bought a product from us have come back for seconds, thirds, and fourths, and fifths. Wow. Like 60% of people who have bought one have come back to get another one. It's funny. My boss that I work for now, when I first started working for him, one of the things he used to always tell the customers, and I, I picked up on it, and now I use the same saying, but he used to always tell his customers, I want you to come back because you're buying something else, not because you're coming back to complain or you've got right. a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the gist of what we want to do. You know, these rods are, they're definitely something special. There's a lot of tech behind them. There's a lot of experience behind them. Uh, we've, I guarantee you, we've spent more money, more time and development on these than the big companies have spent. I guarantee that. Mm. Um, we've got millions in the development on these. Wow. So if someone wanted to see a Trica, put it in their hands, feel it. I mean, do y'all have dealers or do y'all hit any of the uh, 
you know, fish and tackle shows where someone could show up or anything like that? Or Yeah, so we'll be at the Houston show uh, coming up next week from March 1st through the 5th. First, and we'll have okay. March 1st through the 5th. And uh, you could, we'll have a booth there. You can come check them out. Um, I know Will here, you know, he's got one in the shop. You want to come check one out? Well, that's uh, he's cool. He's more than willing to, to show them. Um, outside of Texas, uh, you know, that's the other part of it too, is after developing the rod, because of how much it costs to, to build these things, we didn't want to price them at retail price. Yeah. Because then it would be 700 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, hey, but you know what? Y'all must be doing something right because I spend a lot of time on like Bass Boat Central and stuff. And uh, about two weeks ago, it popped up on the general discussion page. Hey, anybody know anything about these Triker rods? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm sitting in my mind thinking, well, yeah, I'm getting ready to talk to somebody that knows a lot about it. <laughs> yeah, the word's spreading. It's it's getting out there. Bassmasters Magazine just had them in their uh, gear guide for must-have products. Oh, nice. Um, Tackle Tour did a really nice review on them. Um, actually, they're probably scored up with one of the highest rods they've ever scored that's good and then um fired to fish has them they like them we'll be doing a review here soon yeah that's cool i, I always look at tackle tour and wired to fish when i want to look at something like yeah. a line or a rod or a reel or something they mm -hmm. do a, both those guys do a good job yeah they do a very thorough job mm -hmm. and the cool thing with alex at tackle tour is he really dives in to what the rods are doing and those are the things, you know, that are hard to explain, you know, because there's so much subjectivity to it and, and the market's so tainted. You really got to trust. So, you know, so Alex has this good trust and non-biased vibe. And you know that he's giving you the real info. So when you do the, when he does this deep dive into the product, you know, it's three or four pages long. And he's really going through the things that we designed into this rod. It's like, okay, so he, he knows what's going on. Yeah. He's um, not just feeding you a bunch of BS. Right, and it yeah. adds a lot of validity to the product. Or or he's not given the review that he got paid to give. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it makes you wonder sometimes because, like, I look at all the bass stuff. Like, you look at bass fan, right? One of the things I have yet to understand is, like, when you look at bass fan and now – couple of years ago the big split with mlf and bass and all that stuff and i'm sitting here looking at the rankings you know because they rank the bass guys and i'm sitting here going you know brandon polinick just won angler of the year and he's not even in your top five <laughs> or you know and i'm like how does that happen you win angler of the year on the elite series and you're like sixth or third or i'm like it would seem to me like your two anglers of the year would be like one and two yeah. <laughs> right so it always kind of made me wonder like well, who's sponsoring Bass uh, Fan? Writing this stuff yeah. up. Yeah, it's true. And there's a lot of that, obviously, that happens. <laughs> but that's every industry. It is. You know. It's everywhere. Um, but, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. And, you know, one thing with Alex is he's never been biased towards, or, or I shouldn't say biased towards us, you know, because I, I ask, I'll go to him and ask him on product. I gave him a prototype, Trika. Hmm. And he'll break it down for me. I don't like this. I don't like that. Uh, this was good. This was not good. And, you know, we'll listen to it. Hmm. You know, because I, it's, you know, I think I touched on this a little earlier, but it, there's not many real keen guys who understand really what the workings are of the rod. They understand the benefits and what they're getting from it, but they don't understand why. So when you're one of five guys, you know, you got to know those guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago about, you know, getting that secondhand information, building your rods, and you're not really, you're trying to take what somebody else is telling you. When we had Will on, he mentioned when he was talking to one of his distributors when he first opened the shop, and I thought it was so funny, his distributor tells him, you don't want any Zoom brush hogs? That's our number one seller in Texas. You sure you don't want to put those in your store? And it, but you think about it, you know, they have all that stuff down to a science. They know this sells here, this sells here. And I can't right. imagine in the rod or real game or anything, you probably get a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, there's a 
a lot of information you get, you know, you got to decide what to go with, what not to go with. And that's part of making sure that I'm always out there on the water. It means that I'm competing. Um, I fished kayak tournaments for a while because I wanted to learn what those guys were doing. And I made sure I was good at it. I made sure I won. And even with boat tournaments, I make sure I win, you know, because I want to know what it's like, what it takes to get there and what every, you know, I'm very perceptive on what I'm doing and I'll, I'll take all that information and I'll turn that into product. And that's really where Trika rods come from is just a a ton of experience. There is secondhand information that I get, but that's from guys I've known for years and I know how to interpret what they're saying. And, you know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't, you know, Will may tell me, oh, this baits, just use this. It's hard to recreate what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. My right. th- my whole thing is, like, are you guys, because I know, like, for me, I have, like, eight-foot rods, right? My swim bait rods, eight-foot, you know. <laughs> for a kayak guy, that's a pain in the ass, you know? Like, I know kayak guys, and they're like, I'm not going to throw an eight-foot rod. It's going to be a pain in the ass all day. Are you guys going to co- try to come out with, like, a kayak line? For those anglers, I don't think I will. And so, so here's a, an important part. So I w- was fortunate enough to get Angler of the Year with the KBF mm. back on the West Coast in 2019. And through that kind of, you know, tour or whatever, you know, there's five tournaments. There's again a lot of diversity and subjectivity. Um, some guys had long rods. Some guys preferred preferred short rods hmm. but what everyone did is they only carried a few they only had a certain amount so you see these giant skew lists on these products and we really narrowed it down so we only have 14 skews through our whole product line in in this series hmm. at the moment whereas if you look at st croix you look at loomis you look at shimano they have 20 and just the spinning side, right? you know, 10 to 20 and just the spinning and then the other 10, 20, just in casting. Um, going back to what you're saying about technique specific, that's another hard thing to do because his crankbait rods, not your crankbait rod. Right. So you got to design product that adjusts to different individuals and does what you want it to do. So we have a crankbait rod, we have a jerkbait rod in our series, but it's not labeled that. So we have one, I gave one to Will here. It's a six foot 10 extra fast, and it is designed to do the square wheel jerkbaits, um, but it's not limited to, you know, so you can still use that for a Texas rig if you're someone up north in Wisconsin where you like really short rods mm-hmm. um, and use that for a Texas rig, but they're all designed to do that kind of thing. Um, or they're not, you know, we're trying to narrow things down. So whether you're a kayak guy, a a tournament guy, weekend guy, you can look at the skew list and it will make sense for you. Makes sense. By narrowing down the skews, like you said, not having 30 different casting rods and 30 different spinning rods and not necessarily being technique specific, is that mainly just because finding the right rod for the right situation still is so personal preference? It is, and it's complicated. If I tell you a rod's a chatterbait rod, but it may be a chatterbait rod to some one person, but it's not to another. Um, you can look at our assortment and say, okay, well, I'm going to be throwing it over open water. I need a longer rod. So in that case, you'd grab a 7.5 medium heavy, or I'm targeting the bank. Mm short stomps, whatever. Uh, okay, seven foot three. Um, so you have options there. We're not trying to convince people to a certain application because the rods are built to do those things um, just by nature. All right, so we've kind of touched on a lot of stuff here, man. I tell you what, since Joe and I started this podcast, the amount of information and knowledge you have i mean this by far has been 
our most informative podcast. I mean, the way you break down stuff and the way you talk about stuff, it's uh, <laughs> it's been a real treat having you on the show, man. It yeah. really has. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it's definitely. Any time I can be on here, and I, I love doing this kind of stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and hopefully as the podcast grows and stuff, it'll help get the Trika name out there, and you know, get it get the rods in a few more people's hands. Absolutely, yeah. No, I just appreciate the chance to get out here and, and talk with you guys and. Yeah. Who doesn't like talking fishing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't like talking shops? So, well, man, we really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, y'all will get a good turnout at the Houston Boat Show coming up and sell a lot of rods. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Nope. Hold on, hold on real quick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's plug Facebook, Instagram, all that. Oh, yeah, I did. Trica has all social stuff going we right do. now. We do. So Trica Fishing Facebook, Trica Fishing Instagram. Uh, website is trica.com and then um, you can follow my Instagram at fishing, and uh, that's that's what we got going so far awesome. that sounds great man well like every like every other week we can't thank Will Laws enough here at Fish Tackle Marine here in San Antonio for letting us host another podcast and hopefully we'll be coming to y'all next week thank y'all <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.